What did I just say? Doesn't sound like the usual mindless, boring, getting to know you chit chat. It is episode 165 of the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. My name is Greg Frank. Mike Niemer is going to be flying solo on this podcast. He, of course, is eRenewable's CEO. So we're going to check in with Mike in just a few minutes, but we want to hear from Mike's wife, eRenewable COO. And Niemer, again, this is episode 165 of the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Here's Ann. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. We know today whether you're a public company, private equity, or privately held company, ESG and sustainability are important to your company. At eRenewable, we can help you achieve some of those goals. If you have any questions or need any assistance with regards to reaching your sustainability goals, please visit us at eRenewable.com to learn more. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Niemer from The Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, here at the NAEP Expo. And I want to start out, before we get into what our topic is today, I want to thank Mark LaCour for inviting me to the OGGN Podcast Lounge, powered by Caterpillar. He and his team have been great hosts. We're looking forward to doing this again tomorrow. Uh, we're taping here today, and... I've got a guest who was actually a speaker here a couple hours ago, Mr. Jared Burke from Bracewell. Jared, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. I sat in on your session. I was uh, available to sit in, and it was interesting hearing you talking about uh, what's going on in the oil and gas space and renewables, and your topic was how they are kind of a perfect match. Yeah, they absolutely are. I mean, there's, you know, there is really, it's difficult to argue with the point that oil and gas, at least for the next decade or so, is here to stay. And there are a number of reasons why, Uh, you know, oil and gas effectively powers the infrastructure and the supply chain that makes up renewables, that makes renewables possible, you know, carbon fibers are made out of, you know, carbon fibers and other polymers that are hydrocarbon based are, you know, a major part of the supply chain. So one of the one of the realities that we have to deal with is oil and gas isn't going anywhere, but there are a lot of opportunities to kind of clean up or decarbonize to the extent possible the production process and the extraction process. And and that's where we really see a lot of opportunities uh, for renewables to step in as the oil field continues to electrify. Well, you know, I'm a 40-year veteran of oil and gas, and so when I converted over to be in the renewable space, I kind of questioned my judgment, you know, doing it, because <laughs> that's a long time to, before I made that switch, but, it, but as I become more and more involved with it. I see the need for it more. I understand it more. And I know the future's large. I do wonder how difficult it's going to be to really meet some of those net zero goals everybody keeps throwing out there. 20, some of them are aggressive like 2030 or 2040 or even the 2050 might be hard to do. You know, um, I'm a believer that you're going to have to have some carbon offsets, whether it's an unbundled rack or you know, a carbon credit of some kind to reach those kind of numbers. But a lot of people want to call that greenwashing. You know, it's kind of a catch-22. I don't think we get there without using carbon credits or 
renewable energy credits. Your thoughts? I, I, you know, I tend to agree with you, but uh, you know, it is very common, particularly with uh, um, you see it. You see virtual power purchase agreements where you know there's effectively a carbon credit type arrangement with uh, you know Microsofts and Amazons and Googles signing up these massive PPAs, um, you know, to effectively finance additional renewable development. Now, if you're saying like a, tar a, a carbon uh, you know carbon cap and trade type system, that you know that could be in something interesting as well. But I, I think you know as far as the opportunities that exist right now, you know, the, the market for RECs has started. I think it's probably earlier on in, in, in its development, but it's definitely going that direction. Yeah, you know, we've had, um, the more and more projects that get developed, the more and more renewable energy credits will be available to buy independently of the energy. Because a lot of people just want the energy and be able to point to that field, right? that we got that, our energy from that clean field over there, that wind or that solar, and that's all they want. They don't care about the credit. It's the optic that they want, in my opinion. You know, that's, I think that's a fair point. Um, I, I would say, you know, to people who would call that greenwashing, for example, um, I, I, I would venture to suggest that if the renewable project gets built, because of the fact that there is financing available because there's an offtake contract, for example. Whether or not the electrons are delivered to the same party that is retiring that credit doesn't necessarily change the fact that there is an offset of energy production that could have otherwise been produced by a carbon intensive source. Uh, you know, it, it is producing energy that is offsetting or, or you know, taking the place of coal, for example. You're 100% correct, because if they didn't have that off-taker for the wreck, they wouldn't have, be able to fund and, and have that project. So you're right, one, one begets the other. Is that yeah. the phrase I want to look? I think that's fair, and I, 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 yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. You know, all through the conference here, it is, you know, 90% oil and gas. There's a few renewable topics and a few renewable people around. But in the world of this oil and gas, you know, I know you've got some experience with renewable natural gas, right? I do. And so, why don't we talk, tell our listeners a little bit about renewable natural gas, what your experience has been. My, most of my, my regular listeners are familiar. We've had a couple episodes on not only renewable natural gas, but responsibly sourced gas also. So now let's, uh, let me hear what you have to say on the topic. Well, it, it, it has been incredible to see what's been going on in the renewable natural gas industry generally. Um, you know, I, it, and, and it's funny how I found my way into renewable natural gas. It's kind of that perfect connection between, you know, to the, so originally renewable natural gas was more so just taking landfill gas, for example, or, you know, gas that, that's emitted from other, you know, livestock operations or what have you, and then turning that into energy, burning it effectively, and then, you know, using, burning it in the generator and then selling that to the grid. Um, you see that kind of go away, that was smaller scale, and you see, you know, nowadays renewable natural gas processing facilities getting, getting constructed more and more frequently. You're seeing a whole hell of a lot more large scale operators like BP buying Arkea, for example. Um, you know, Kinder Morgan is getting into the space. Um, you see other midstream company, large midstream companies getting into the space as well. Uh, you know, it's all part of their ESG strategy, but the thing that's interesting about the RNG side is you're using existing technologies that midstream companies in particular are very familiar with. It's a pipeline. 
and it's a processing facility. It's removing, um, you know, removing CO2, removing water from, you know, from the, uh, the the gas stream that comes out of the landfill. So we we've seen, or you know, whatever the other source of uh, uh, of methane is. Um, so it, it's a we, we've seen a massive explosion in, of growth in that industry in particular, as you know, or, uh, uh, traditional oil and gas companies or mid oil and gas midstream companies start looking for ways to get involved in the renewable space, looking for ways to transition, but doing so in, a, in an industry that they otherwise know or have experience working in. Well, you know, it's my understanding that typical renewable natural gas plant is only about 1,000 MMBTUs a day. So in the scale of natural gas, it's extremely small. But depending on the component that they're using to make the renewable natural gas, the carbon intensity score sometimes can be negative two, three, four hundred, right? And that makes up for lack of volume to offset some of the other natural gas volume, isn't that right? That's right, that's right. And, and you know, it also doesn't hurt that most of the time, you know, the, the, the molecules that are going into the renewable natural gas plant, the processing facility, aren't being purchased. There, you know, they, there's a royalty that's paid in exchange on gross revenues as opposed to, you know, two cents, three cents per, you know, MMBTU or something like that. Um, at least that's that's what you know. Some of the arrangements arrangements that we're seeing. We we also work with uh, um, at Bracewell. We work with um, landfills as well, who are operating landfill owners and operators who have the gas rights and are looking for joint ventures with developers like Arkea, for example, uh, to develop the natural gas or the the um, landfill gas rights into renewable natural gas um, by building facilities and processing facilities in these different uh, uh, you know, locations. So it's, it's interesting to see massive operations like Waste Management, GFL Environmental, Republic team up with smaller, more nimble operators that then get gobbled up by the really big operators like Arkea, um, you know, to put capital into enhancing their ESG profile, but also making money doing it. Well, you know, speaking of the ESG profile, you know, those are the three buzz letters that are around now, right? <laughs> yeah. Environmental, social, you're right, and, and, um, and, envi and governance, yeah, I drew a blank there. But anyway, <laughs> uh, those are the three buzz letters everybody's talking about, whether you're in the United States or across the pond or around the world somewhere else, everybody's still talking about that. Investors are looking for it, boards are looking for it, so on and so forth. Talk about what you've seen from the legal side as far as the growth from, for your firm in particular, because that's what you know, as far as your customers asking you or clients asking you, help them with their ESG portfolio or their compliance with regards to wanting to be compliant. Yeah, absolutely. So a, a little bit about Bracewell, you know, one of our taglines is we know energy. And, you know, Bracewell has historically been a, uh, a, a service provider to traditional energy companies, as I like to refer to them. So I, I, I think of, you know, combined cycle natural gas fired power plants um, and, you know, utilities as well as uh, upstream oil and gas uh, um, companies as well as midstream. We also have a, a large client base that's uh, in the downstream space as well. But the reality is we know 
everything there is in the entire energy industry, and that's what we that's what we focus on. That's what we you know pride ourselves on being good at, and we have a really deep bench in that respect. So whether it's a regulatory issue, a transactional issue, or just a novel contract that needs to be you know contractual arrangement that needs to be documented, which is you know get, brings me to the point about renewables. That's what we are good at. We we know how these industries worked. We've worked. We've lived in them. We've lived with our clients through you know years and of upturns and downturns and working through a number of different issues and now what we're seeing our clients really get into is our you know our traditional energy clients getting into how do we decarbonize or how do we reduce our emissions profile how do we enhance our ESG uh, you know reporting and you know the ways that you do that are by investing in renewables whether that's you know renewable natural gas and then taking advantage of you know the the monetization of RINs, for example, or if you're going into um, you know straight up renewable development, building solar solar uh, facilities and wind facilities. Um, but more recently, we've seen clients, and we talked about this at our presentation. We've seen clients in the upstream oil and gas space trying to take advantage of their massive surface acreage positions that they own out in West Texas, for example, in order to build. Uh, renewable facilities that can generate or they can provide energy to their operations. Um, so, for example, you know, one of our clients, Pioneer Natural Resources, uh, is working with uh, Nextera Energy to build a wind farm on their surface acreage in West Texas. And as part of that arrangement, Pioneer will be buying energy from Nextera. Uh, you know, Nextera is the owner of this wind facility, but Nextera also has a lease arrangement with Pioneer that you know pays royalties uh, on gross revenue. So the, it's a what we're seeing clients try and do is take advantage of the credits that are available from buying renewable energy, taking advantage of existing surface acreage that they already own, and at the same time securing lower cost energy to fund to uh, uh, to power their operations. So it, it's an it, and and as part of all of that, we're having to negotiate novel arrangements in familiar contexts, if that makes sense. So like a surface use agreement, you know, we are very familiar with, any oil and gas company is very familiar with, but when you're talking about, okay, how do you construct a wind farm on top of oil and gas, prop, you know, a, a surface property that has had oil and gas operations on it for 50, 75 years, you know, there's plugged wells all over the place, there's, you know, pipelines, gathering lines, all sorts of infrastructure, how do you navigate that well it takes a an attorney who's familiar with the oil and gas industry but also familiar with how renewables are developed to be able to bring those two parties together and i'm not going to say it's easy well it doesn't sound easy at all because <laughs> so anyway that's a great niche for you guys to be in to be able to put those different projects together and sometimes it may take things you learn from one project and piece it with something you learned at another project to get that third project done. It's funny, you know, we rely to some extent on existing constructs and we adapt them in a new novel context. So, you know, a good example, we are also very big in uh, carbon capture uh, use and sequestration and the, the CO2 pipelines that are getting built right now, they're signing up offtake, you know, uh, uh, supply agreements and, and uh, purchase agreements for CO2 that are based on the same exact forms as you would see in the natural gas space. So it's, it's really fascinating to see how experience in traditional energy plays out into the energy transition and renewable energy.
Well, you know, during that same talk you were giving when I was over there, you, uh, when you talked about the, um, the energy being used on site from the partner, you started talking, you told a little bit about behind the meter versus connecting to the, inter, the, the, the grid and then the foul, get in that interconnection queue. Well, I know here in ERCOT, because you've been talking West Texas, there's 1,900 applications deep. There's only going to be maybe 20% of them approved. They're several years behind. This is a big deal, okay? It's worse than PJM, okay? So now, explain to the listeners that big difference between what you referred to behind the meter versus having to go outside the meter and connect to the grid. Why don't you spend a little time on that? Absolutely. So when... Um when we talk about behind the meter, we're talking about an arrangement where a energy generation project is connecting directly to the load source. And what I mean by the load source, I'm talking about you know the equipment, the facilities that are actually using the energy that's being generated. Typically, uh, an, an energy generation facility is going to connect to you know what we refer to as the grid. And there are different system operators, independent system operators uh, throughout the country. In Texas, we have ERCOT, and we're you know kind of a special case. But um, effectively, the grid, quote unquote, is managed by the system operators. But you can kind of skip that process. And as you were describing, there's an application process in order to interconnect with the grid. There are all sorts of studies that have to be conducted. And then the infrastructure has to be built out to the project in order to interconnect it you know, to transmission and, and local distribution. Um, what behind the meter is, is effectively cutting out that whole application process sometimes um, and creating a, an arrangement where the energy is being delivered directly to the load source. Um, that is a very promising way to get around delays and difficulties associated with you know, complex regulatory agencies, frankly. Um, however, there's a lot of pushback on it, and, and you know, the more prevalent that it becomes, I think the more you will see uh, utilities and you know, transmission and distribution utilities in particular that collect a fee for any, any energy that is passed over their lines going and pushing back against you know the prevalence of behind the meter even though from a practical standpoint behind the meter is probably the, a more efficient solution in the long run it is absolutely a more efficient solution but i don't want the listeners out there to be confused with what you said versus what they think happens on their solar panels on their house in the majority of states correct me if i'm wrong now the solar panels on their house is going up to the grid and they're pulling it back from the grid back to their house. It doesn't necessarily go directly to their home. Is that correct? So it, it depends on the state and it depends on the system. You know, for example, if you have in, in certain states, there are net Texas, unfortunately, doesn't have this. Sometimes some utility operators, some uh, uh, um, reps will allow for net metering is what you're describing. Um, but net metering is effectively, you know, for every for every kilowatt hour that's generated by the panel on your house, you know, it either goes to your house or it goes to the grid. And then in some cases, uh, you know, it'll go just to the grid and then there's still a line from the grid to your house where um, you actually get the energy that you're using. Um, and then that net metering arrangement basically offsets the energy that you would otherwise have to pay with a sale of energy or a purchase of energy from your solar panels. Now, having said that, there are definitely arrangements where, like for example, if you have a Tesla Powerwall, if your 
uh, solar panels are hooked up to a home battery, then your home battery switches on. I mean, that energy is going into your house. It's not going back into the grid necessarily. Um, so it really de depends on kind of where you are, what, what arrangement you have, what your system does, you know, how your system is designed. But, um, you know, it is different from, from the kind of industrial context where, where we really, you know, excel and work quite a bit. Well, that makes perfect sense. So if you're putting in a solar panels at home, make sure you know where your power is going. You know, as we uh, progress through our podcast here, it's been absolutely a pleasure meeting you today. Great meeting you as well. And I look forward to, you know, you're in Houston, I'm in Houston, so we'll do this again in another five or six months. Catch up, see what's new in the industry, see what you're up to, and see what I'm up to. And uh, that's it from Nate. Do you have anything else? No, I, I think, you know, five or six months from now, it'll be interesting to catch up because uh, we're right now we're seeing the beginnings of what seems to be a big rush uh, or maybe a, a big onslaught of new projects that'll be coming through as a result of the IRA. I think there's a bunch of business deals that are being negotiated right now and pretty soon they'll kick it over to the lawyers to start papering stuff up. So hopefully in a few months, I'll have some more interesting updates for you to see kind of what the newest trend is. I'm looking forward to it. That's Jared Berg from Brazewell. Thank you for joining us on the Green Insider Powered Be Renewable. Taping today from the NAPE Expo in downtown Houston, Texas. Thanks again for, to Mark LeCour for providing this platform for us in the podcast lounge powered by Caterpillar. We appreciate all you listeners as always. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review every time you listen to our show. We appreciate any comments that you put on there. And as always, have a great day and thank you once again for listening to the Green Insider powered by Renewable. <laughs>